I'm James Ham II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode number 65, I am joined, as always, with our expert panelist, Mr. Mark LaCour from Modal Point. What does Modal Point do? We haven't talked about that in a while. Modal Point has been working its butt off this whole year. Ah, it's so freaking busy. Um, so Modal Point uh, at its core is a market research company. So we basically help other companies figure out where their product or service fits in the oil and gas industry, who would buy it, and why they would buy it. Yes, and to dovetail with that, Tribe Rocket Inc., what our specialty is, is building and monetizing audiences. So when we're not building and monetizing our own audience through sponsorship and different things like that, we're helping brands build their audience to sell them things. So once Mark helps you identify your market, I can help you sell those things into that market. So that's who we are, but we have some shout outs to give to some other people, especially James Gordy. I just left him a review yesterday, Mark, actually, finally got around to give him my five-star review because he is killing it on the Oil & Gas Young Professionals podcast. Yeah, he's uh, he's part of the family, right? Um, uh, James is close to both of us. Um, James Gordy, got to be careful here. And he's uh, started his own podcast, and it's really, really good. So if you're a young professional in the oil and gas industry, check out his podcast. You, you'll, you'll enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, and you told me a story about something that happened to Jake Corley, another mutual friend of ours from GDS Ware, that happened after he was on the Oil and Gas Young Professionals podcast. And so how cool is this? So James Gordy interviewed Jake on his podcast. An operator um, heard the interview on on and reached out to Jake's company, and now they've engaged in a sales cycle. So, you know, nobody did that on purpose, but that just kind of shows you the power um, of when you have people that are listening to you, you know, you're in their ear earbuds for 20, 30, 45 minutes at a time. So I just think that was really cool the way that kind of played out. Yeah, that is that is really, really cool. And another thing that makes me excited is that an operator was listening to a podcast. So yeah. shows the adoption of the technology is really spreading and I think it's it's going to explode this year. And can I tell you a funny story about that? Yeah, please. So you knew who you know who I had lunch with yesterday. I'm not going to say. I'm just going to say that it's a, a executive of a very very large oil and gas service companies. And we're actually talking about podcasts. And he was telling me how his CEO didn't know how to load a podcast on his cell phone. <laughs> so this guy, who's an executive, a senior executive, had to go in his office install. Um, um, iTunes and then and subscribing to the podcast. And the reason I think that's funny is I've watched James do that in person. And, and we go to events and people don't know how to listen to a podcast. Uh, you know, the older generation in this industry, you know, God love them, but uh, they're not the most technology uh, proficient people. And, but that's changing, which is cool. It is changing. Yeah. And that's a way I found out that we are number one because I always have people in person and say, well, podcast. And I say, oh, on demand radio, <laughs> on demand radio. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then I have them open up the app. And I, I always thought it was an issue with my phone caching the search for oil and gas this week. But I've seen it happen dozens of times at this point where I'll just say, do you have an iPhone? All right, pull it out, You know, find a podcast app. And then once you click search, as soon as you type in oil, we're the first one that I guess is you're looking for across multiple, multiple uh, devices. Regardless, you have some breaking news. We have breaking news between Technique, and another company that we talk about a lot. So you heard it here first, and what is it, Mark? Yeah, so uh, FMC and Technip have 
will announce today, it's not done yet, that they are going to merge. And I, I think it's, um, it's, this has been in the works for a while, the possibility of this. I think it's great for both companies. Uh, Technip is actually going to come out ahead as far as the stock trade agreement. They're, they're, uh, they'll get two for ones, whereas uh, FMC will just get one for one. Um, but the new company that comes out of this is going to be a butt-kicking company. I mean, it is going to dominate. So, um, you know, to all of our people that listen at both companies, and we have a, you and I have a very strong relationship with FMC Technologies, you know, good job. This is going to bring really great stuff to both companies, and we're excited to see where this goes. We've talked about this before, about my understanding, in the, usually in the tech world, why someone would acquire someone for a certain IP or a certain workflows or whatever it is in terms of valuations what is fmc tech or what is technique getting from the acquisition of fmc technologies so technique does a lot of um, subsea services type of work right so they do work on subsea pipelines and manifolds and plants and trees and blah 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 blah. fmc makes that stuff so imagine if you're a company that fixes cars and then you buy the company that makes cars you got both ends of the market boom boom yeah love it all right we usually stand corrected, but we stand contested with this one, Mark. So uh, shout out to JB for hitting us up in the show notes on the last episode, which is triberocket.com forward slash TW64 because, oh, I forgot to mention, yeah, we, we get our pensions now. At any rate, JB dropped a link in here about the Tesla Model S fine, and it's a little contested, and I'm going to back away so that I don't flub the story. Yeah. So big, super, super, super shout out to JB to bring us to our attention. Um, we love it when our audience uh, shows that we uh, might have made a mistake on something. However, in this case, uh, JB, you said that they debunked it and it's not debunked yet. So so basically what, what happened is um, the uh, LTA, which is Singapore Land Transit Authority, fined Tesla because from cradle to grave, their car, even though it's all electric and has no emissions from a tailpipe, from cradle to grave uh, emits a lot of CO2. When that happened, Tesla issued a statement, and that's what JB sent for, to us is with the statement from Tesla uh, showing the math, showing that the car does not emit more CO2. Now, um, LTA is still doing an investigation on this. Um, I did the math on this, and, and you know, I'm, I'm actually really good at math, but when I start converting watt hours to kilometers, <laughs> you know, I, I could easily make a mistake on this. But when I do the math on this based upon public data, to me, the car still comes back as a higher CO2 emitting car from cradle to grave. But once again, I could easily be wrong about that. And, you know, anytime that we put something out there that we are mistaken or wrong or it's contested, please bring it to our attention because we want to know the truth. This isn't about ego. <laughs> this is about getting the truth out there for you and actually for us too. James and I need to know what's really going on. So I think this is a story, James, that we'll just follow and we'll wait to see what the, um, the, um, what LTA comes out with in response to Tesla's statement. Yes, because I right before we pressed record, I, I did a, if, if anybody doesn't know, Google has search tools. There's a button there that says search tools and allows you to search for the past month or past year or past 24 hours or whatever. I searched for the past month and I haven't seen an update. So we will continue to follow this story. Speaking of stories, we have to get into our top stories and we're going to start off with a couple that we've been following. Number one, we just mentioned last week, Obama's methane crackdown. And that's what the, t- the headline says, but it continues by saying rankles Texas oil and gas industry. Yeah, this is just absurd. I, I mean, it's getting ridiculous. And we talked about last week where I might, what I think is that uh, the environmentalists have figured out they can't go head to head with oil and gas. So they're trying to do a, a, a go around the sideways. 
and put enough legislation in place that it just increases the cost, which unfortunately me, you, and our listeners are going to pay for. So this is the, um, uh, and everyone uh, else and everyone, and everyone else, else. Yeah. it's not just the industry, the whole, yeah, it's, the whole yeah no, no, it's, it's consumers, right? Everything that you buy gets transported. What happens to the price of that transportation fuel goes up, it gets applied to the product. So your loaf of bread, your eggs, your, you know, Ouija board, whatever you're going to get. No Ouija boards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Go ahead. So the EPA finalized a new set of rules, and they said they're battling climate change. Um, methane is is less than 4% <laughs> of the greenhouse gases that's out there. So, you know, hats off to our, our Congress spending our tax money to fight 4% of the problem. Um, and and the, the problem is methane is basically what natural gas is. So if you set a new set of rules to, to limit the amount of natural gas that can leak out, which actually happens naturally, and the biggest, James, you may not know this, the, bigger, the biggest industry that uh, causes um, methane to be released in the atmosphere is agriculture. Yeah, I actually did know that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, what the hell's uh, government's spending our money to fight 4% of the problem. And then instead of going after the biggest, biggest emitter to methane, they come after us. So this is obviously targeted for a political reason. Um, unfortunately for, for the EPA, they're messing with the wrong state. So Texas has no problem going to court and suing the federal government. They Don't do it all mess the time. with Texas, baby. Yeah. yeah. And so this is going to be another place where, where Texas will lead the charge because no other state will do this. And we'll spend the time and money and we'll bring it to the uh, courts and, and, and hopefully we'll get this thing just overturned because it's ridiculous to add another layer of costs where people are losing their jobs in upstream right now. So, you know, it's ridiculous political bull and, and, you know, this just needs to go away. Yeah, it's kicking a guy when he's down at its finest or worst as you see it regardless we have to update as well on the iran nuclear deal i always screw that word up um iran breaches nuclear deal and u.n resolution for a third time i said before mark that i haven't really pushed back on you here i have i'm in contact with a couple people that i highly respect that are have been pretty hawkish on this deal from the beginning and not trusting anything that iran is saying Tell us about this story and how it plays into either side of that equation. Yeah, so so the story is a bit of a gray area. It's it's all around uh, uh, ballistic missiles, and in the agreement that they signed, um, uh, Iran agreed not to um, undertake any activity related to new ballistic missile design capable of delivering nuclear weapons, right, including launching. Well, lately they've been launching some ballistic missiles. The hard thing is, is it the right size to deliver a nuclear payload? So it's a bit of a gray area, but you know I've support this deal. I still support this deal. But when I when I originally when we originally talked about this, I support this deal only in the context that if they violate the sanctions, we come down to them and we come down to them hard. Uh, the reason I support this deal is for the Iranian people. If we can get them exposed to capitalism, to uh, education, to the internet, they will eventually um, turn into model citizens. We, I've seen it a million times in history, right? But if Iran violates the deal, we need to come down on them hard, including military action. So um, I'm, I'm still hoping this this uh, deal helps the Iranian people. I'm not worried about the Iranian government because I think eventually that's going to be overthrown. But like I said, if the government breaches their contract, we, we need to slap them. Okay, so it's basically about the missile the missile launches they've been doing tests. Yeah, is are they so so in the agreement they're allowed to test ballistic missiles. But they are not allowed to test or develop ballistic missiles that can carry um, a, a nuclear payload. And so, you know, when you start looking at nuclear payloads and multiple warheads, there's a certain size ballistic missile that can do that. And below that size, it's just not physically able to do that. 
um, and, and the reason that was written is, is, is the same reason that when we um, finished World War II with Japan, the agreement with Japan allowed them to have a military to protect themselves, but not big enough that they can go conquer the world again. And that's what this was in this agreement. So you can have ballistic missiles to protect yourself, right? But you don't need to be able to nuke Europe, right? That's not protecting yourself. That's being uh, offensive. And so, um, you know, the United Nations Security Council should be investigating this. And like I said, if, if, if they violate the agreement, the sanctions need to come back hard. All right, cool. Let's move over to Kazakhstan, and we'll find out why a little bit later in the show. But we've got a couple stories out of Kazakhstan because I don't, I don't really believe that we've spent too much time talking about their oil and gas production. So let's bring everybody up to speed with Kazakhstan increases gas output, decreases oil production. Yeah, and so so what's happened? This is um. This country is relatively new. It's part of the old former Soviet Union. It sits right smack between Russia and China. Um, so it's um, they're decreasing their oil production, but they're increasing their gas production. Um, and they're also decreasing their, their coal production. And that's just market forces. There's a big market for them to deliver uh, gas to Europe. So they make more money at that. And so they're just tweaking their output um, you know, to, to make sure that they can monetize that the best way possible. Um, now they got a ton of natural gas. That's then that's this is a ton of natural gas that they discovered. There's also a lot of stuff that they haven't discovered yet, right? So it's um it's estimated that their gas reserves are around one and a half trillion cubic meters, um, and and that's that's a lot of gas. Put it in context for us by a lot. Um, if you take the how much gas the U.S. uses, like the entire population, entire country uses. Um, their field could um, supply our gas needs for thir- about 35 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that is a lot. I mean, like you said, that's only what they've discovered so far. Yeah. So, um, you know, good for them, good for the people there. It's um, I've never been there. I, I, I would love to go because of the history, you know, being a former Soviet Union country and then standing up your own government and – um. I, you know, I, I eventually, hey, maybe we can do a, a show from there. Maybe, hey, if we have any listeners in the government over there and they want us to come do a podcast, let us know. We'd be happy to jump on the plane and come do well, it. Well, we do have one listener over there. I don't know that he's a government official. Actually, I know he's not a government official, and we'll find out why later in the show. But then we're going to move over to Kazakhstan's privatization hits a snag because we're seeing this a lot around the globe in terms of people realizing or national oil companies, governments realizing privatization is a good thing. So what's going on here? Yeah, so so their government has 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 an economic downturn, and they're trying to fix that by privatizing some of the industries that were government owned, and so they work on a deal with China um, to to um, broker one, their national one of their nationalized oil company, and then Romania for some reason <laughs> decided that it wasn't a good idea, and so they disputed the process. So now uh, it's it's going to get stuck in the courts, and it's it's you know they have to figure out what's the right way to do this. Um, you know, from a business point of view, um, this should have went through, right? So the influx of cash from China would have allowed them to um, upgrade their refineries, um, increase production, hire more people. And for Romania, Romania is worried about market share um, because they also have they also delivered part of this market. So what they're basically doing is trying to block a competitor from getting a bigger piece of, of the market. And, you know. I, I don't know the politics over there very well. If that happened here in the U.S., I would do something to actually <laughs> bite the fingers of the competitor, you know, like maybe buy somebody else. But I'm not quite sure how the politics works over there. But, you know, it is an interesting situation, and we'll see where it goes. Well, I, I can't tell you how the politics works today, but I'm going to throw it in the show notes. You have to watch the documentary on Netflix, 
Chuck Norris versus communism. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about Romania under communism and how this one guy pretty much overthrew communism by by bringing in all of these uh, black market, whatever, overdubbed U.S. movies and the whole thing around censorship and people having viewing parties and them getting busted by the secret police. And it's a phenomenal story. So it doesn't really have to do with this, but I have to throw it in. Chuck Norris versus communism, just for the title alone, it's worth a watch. But it's a phenomenal documentary. It'll be in the show notes. All right, let's move over here to a, a pretty large company, Mark. Meet the private company that has changed the face of the world. Bechtel. <laughs> um, uh, gotta love Bechtel. They do some, they do some great stuff. So Bechtel is a big EPC company, engineering, procurement, construction. Um, think of anything big that needs to be built. And Bechtel is one of the few companies in the world that could do it. There's only a handful of people that are in this world um, um, that, that have the uh, scope and the reach and the engineering capacity to do stuff like this. So this is a great article. Um, they talk about um, um, in Saudi Arabia, there's a, a thousand ton monster carving out a tunnel. <laughs> and this uh, is a TBM, a tunnel boring machine, which if you've ever seen any news on TV, they're incredible. They literally, they build them in the ground. And these things are huge. They're bigger than a 747. And they one end choose a hole in the ground. And when I say a hole, it's like 30 or 40 feet in diameter. It's not like six inches. And then it processes all the rock and dirt and everything. And it comes out the other end. And then the, the very back end um, puts in the casing, right? The concrete or steel, whatever casing to, to case that hole. And it just moves the ground, creating a really cool tunnel. And then what happens is when they're finished the project, it stays down there. It's too expensive to take it apart and bring it back up. So it ends up carving a side tunnel, and then it just it's there forever. So this is this is talking about how they're doing this in Saudi Arabia. But you know, Bechtel, anything big, um, um, here in the US, you know, everybody knows the Hoover Dam. Well, Bechtel built that, right? Um, it, you know, anything big, Bechtel is like I said. Yeah, there's a list right here. The Trans-Arabian Pipeline, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, NASA's Space Launch Complex, 40, the channel, uh, the channel tunnel. <laughs> these guys are experts and been doing it for quite a while. Yeah. And so the other thing I think is cool, they're privately held, but they're worth $40 billion. It's not too many privately held companies worth that much money. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then what's really cool is run by the family, right? Every CEO uh, um, since Warren Bechtel has been a member of the Bechtel family. And just, just, you know, I just think it's a cool American story. It's a great American story, 118 years old. We got to give an update over here on Air Liquide. Uh, not an update, actually. I think we mentioned Air Liquide over on the career show, and I'm bringing them up here because they uh, Air Liquide's $13.4 billion acquisition wins regulatory approval. Companies agree to sell assets, and I have to put in here the, the link that you're going to have in the show notes is to the Houston Business Journal. To read the whole thing, you have to get a free subscription. I really encourage you to get a free subscription to the Houston Business Journal. It's become one of my favorite sources of news, and they, they e- email three times a day. And in terms of oil and gas news, there's a ton of stuff that comes out daily. But let's get back to Air Liquide. What's going on here? So Air Liquide is an international, air ga- uh, international uh, uh, industrial gas company, and they have market share in the U.S., but they want more. So they looked around, and there's a U.S. company called Airgas, which does basically the same thing they're doing. It had pretty good market share, and so they did what any good company do. They bought them. <laughs> so it's um, now, of course, the uh, DOJ and FTC has uh, looked into this, and they're making them divestify some of their assets to make sure that it's still a competitive Divest. market. <laughs> Divest. Um, but, but 
you know, I, th I think this is a great move. I think it's a great move for both companies. Now, air gas employees and air gas management are have exposure to Air Liquide's um, global marketplace. So um, it's it's interesting that this one got approved. This was a pretty decent sized deal, $13.54 billion. Um, it, it, something's happened in the U.S. government in the last year or so with large mergers. They tend to not approve them. Um, and they always have a good reason why, but I, I, I think it's a political thing. I'm not quite sure how it helps one political party over the other, but um, it's you know it's, it's good thing that this one got approved. And so they're going to divest. It says 16 air separation units and so forth, two nitrous oxide plants owned by Air Liquide, four facilities that produce both liquid carbon dioxide and dry ice, and two facilities that produce only liquid carbon dioxide, all owned by Air Liquide, and then three air gas retail package welding gas stores in alaska so yeah if you're looking for a welding gas store up in alaska go go pick it up you know what a nitrous oxide is um i i do and it's not coming to mind right now so why don't it's you go ahead and tell us gas. yes that's exactly what it is right. it's it's what so they give you at the doctor isn't it or at the dentist yeah. yeah if so if you're a scaredy cat at the dentist they give you this to relax you so they can work on you but it's also james what they uh they use in drag racing they inject it in engines and all of a sudden you got an extra 500 horsepower you ever seen a car show where they push the button on the dash and, and the car just takes off? Oh, yeah. That's injecting nitrous oxide. So funny that it, it, it makes you relax, and at the same time, it'll, it'll double the horsepower in a, a combustion engine. Don't, don't mix the two, folks. <laughs> don't try this at home. All right. We've talked a lot about GE lately. We have a Seeking Alpha story. GE, the impact of the downturn in the numbers of oil and gas, or it, downturn in the oil and gas industry by the numbers. Yeah. You know, uh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> all right yes it's been a while since you've hated a story from seeking alpha so, so, so let's the, let's get the hate out right now so the numbers are right right gene oil and gas um has the revenue has dropped dramatically uh, over the last couple of years from oil and gas but what they don't talk about in this article is that gene oil and gas is only an upstream services business they, they don't have any exposure to midstream or downstream and it's like that's why is an impact of the downturn because of, of, of what they have in the market. If GE, and trust me, I, there's rumors going on right now, um, people, and I, I don't know if you've heard it yet, but that GE's looking to pick up Baker, right, since the Halliburton deal fell apart. Well, we've talked about it. Yeah. And so the other thing I know for a fact that's going on is GE's looking to pick up some downstream service companies to help spread their portfolio. So this, is a, this article is accurate, has great numbers in here. It does show how um, the downturn has affected GE's uh, uh, valuation, stock price, and revenue. But it's not because the oil and gas industry took a downturn. It's because GE only has presence in one space of that of our industry. And even GE is aware of this. GE, I know for a fact, GE is looking, <laughs> looking downstream right now to, to help uh, kind of mitigate this type of risk. We've got to get the people at WG Investment Research listening to the show because at this point, it's just elementary, right? Come on. Yeah. You got to know. You got you to gotta know that someone's only in one segment. And if that segment's hurting, it's pretty of obvious. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. All right. Skipping over that one. All the hate is <laughs> the player haters ball out here. But one story that was making the rounds across the oil and gas interwebs is the range resources memorial deal. So built to sell some backstory on the three point three billion dollar range resources memorial deal. What is this deal all about? So this deal is about shock and surprise is what this deal is about. So range resources, everybody, including myself, has speculated that somebody's going to pick them up, right? One of the big majors or super majors. So they've been an acquisition target for a very long time. So what do they do? 
They went and bought somebody themselves. <laughs> you know, and, and nobody, including myself, saw this coming. So they went and bought um, Memorial Resources for three point, uh, I think three point three billion dollars. Uh, it's a stock trade, um, and it's um, it's you know, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, Range is one of the first companies to actually do some work in the Marcellus, and um, so they have some good holdings. They have some good production. Memorial is also in the same boat, but in a different play in Louisiana, and so it makes sense. But nobody saw it coming, or at least I didn't see it coming. And the people that I, I or in my network didn't see it coming. So. I think this is kind of cool where even somebody like me, um, when you see stuff going on and you go, oh, I know where it's going to go, a lot of times you're wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. And this is a perfect example. So let's let's pick this apart a little bit. And one of the lines that I'd like to hear maybe your expansion on is it says Memorial is a pure play too. And then it talks about the entirety of its operations in Terraville Field in northern Louisiana. So give us a little background on that. Yeah, so uh, just like uh, Range was one of the first people in the Marcellus, Memorial is one of the first people in, in Terraville. So, which means they got um, prime land, prime acreage at a very good price. Um, they're uh, well into production. They understand the uh, geology of that area probably better than anybody else. So, they're one of the top operators in that field, um, just like Range Resources is in Marcellus. So, you know, it, you have some diversity in this new combined company because now they're in two different plays instead of, you know, um, instead of range pick up somebody in, in you know in Pennsylvania. So it's a good move. And I think it's a, um, the fact that it's a stock only uh, trade it was, it was sh- uh, smart in this uh, downturn. Um, you know, we've been saying the price accrued to come back relatively soon. When it does, this is going to be a very robust company. Interesting. After that, it talks about that Memorial didn't start out as a pure play. It started out as a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they started off not operating anything, right? They they basically just bought other assets, um, and then they had um they had funding, so they basically used other people's money to go buy assets. And their and their what they wanted to do was flip them, and then what happened is they couldn't flip them, so eventually had to get into um, actually producing these properties and get some of their money back. And they hired some really smart people who knew how to do this well. So they went from uh, just picking up assets to actually being an operator which is not usually how the story goes. Usually the story is the other way around. You start off as an operator, and as you grow, eventually then you start picking up ass- assets and starting to flip them because you know how to do it. Yeah, and so it talks about um, the deal being Ken Hirsch and the NGP fund will hold a leading position of about 15% of range shares plus one seat on the board. So there's, there's, there's more than a stock trade going on here. Well, you always have this sort of stuff going with, with management, right? And especially if there's a... Um, there's an um, equity or private equity company involved. The private equity company has invested, has, has an interest and also a duty to make sure this company's run well. So that's what that's about. All right, let's move over to CNBC with Goldman Sachs emerges as vast natural gas player. We haven't been very favorable to Goldman Sachs. I, 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 I have my reservations about them as a result of my industry, my industry, mortgage industry background. But let's talk about Goldman Sachs and the natural gas plays. Yeah, so Goldman, um, no matter what you th- and and you know and, and you know, good company. I have nothing against them. Um, their oil and gas analysts tend to be wrong a lot, um, and and I, I'm not quite sure why they keep <laughs> they keep being wrong. I mean, you think eventually it would accidentally get it right, but one of the cool things they've done is they saw this market in gas and gas trading, right? And so they've um, they've eased into it. They, they, well, they jumped into it because they, um, they end up buying a broker. Um, I think it was called Jay Aaron's. Um, and then they learn how to do it themselves. So we've talked about this before, how you know oil and gas is a commodity. People broker it. 
So you basically buy it for X and then sell it for X plus one or X plus two. And there's a lot of ways you can work the market around this, you know, um, uh, uh, put prices and, and shorts and, and, you know, futures and all that stuff. And so they, they've done a good job with this. And the interesting thing is they've actually here in the U.S., um, overtaken Chevron and ExxonMobil as one of the biggest natural gas merchants in North America. And, and you know, you don't think of Goldman Sachs as, as being in that world, but they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to absorb that right now because it is, it is news to me. Yeah, now, now let's be clear here. They're not producing oil and gas at all. They don't touch that. All they're doing is buying it when somebody else produces it and then selling it at a profit or trading it at a profit. Trading it at a profit because it does talk about how they – the gas utility serving households in Buffalo, New York last year and so forth. But I'm thinking actually the uh, paragraph before this where it talks about they, they basically sold off all the infrastructure of that company that they bought. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I, I, I'd be interesting to see if this is still an important part of their business in about five years from now. Yeah, interestingly, the Wall Street Institution last year bought and sold 1.2 trillion uh, cubic feet of physical gas in the U.S., and we were just talking about cubic feet and everything over in Kazakhstan, so interesting. Anyway, we have a story about uh, from Bloomberg about natural gas again, and I'm not sure how accurate or whatever this is. That's why I wanted to hear your take on it. Stubborn natural gas supply imperils best USA, U.S. rally in 14 years. Yeah, so the price has gone up dramatically. Um, now, unfortunately, the price going up, correlating with supply and demand, that match is not there. Um, prices went up because investors think that the market supply, the oversupply, is falling. Right? Um, it, I don't see that as being true. So this is this is actually this is on a side note. This is a good uh, example of how investors' perception can drive commodity prices up or down. That is not always connected with reality. Now, these guys do this for a living. I don't. Um, they they rely on being able to accurately call this um, in order to make money, and I don't. So, um, you know, this is one of those places where I could be wrong. But I, I when I look at the numbers, it's um, you know, we still have this huge oversupply, and the uh, I don't see any decline in the oversupply because we're still in doing a lot of gas production. But it talks about futures for 2017 have risen even more, surging 36% to trade above $3 per million British thermal unit. West Texas Intermediate Crew, the U.S. benchmark, has risen 21% this year and closed at 44.66 a barrel Tuesday in New York. Maybe you can talk us through a little bit the, the, the correlation or relationship between oil and gas prices because it's, I don't think it's anything we've really dug into very much on the show. Yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of answers to that. So in a lot of places in the world, there will be a mathematical correlation to help price gas accurately. Um, the reality is it depends on the geology that you're in. Some plays are pure gas, some plays are pure oil, and most plays are a mix. So um, um, in, in the past, when uh, natural gas prices were so low that it wasn't worth uh, bringing the gas to market and you're drilling an oil well and you hit gas, you just flared it or vented it to the atmosphere, which is not really good for the environment. Now what happens is people put it in the system, even if it's a low price, because at least they can get some of their money back because they can pay taxes on operators can pay taxes on no matter what. So, you know, that, that relationship varies depending on the geology. Now the operators know this. 
So uh, right now, uh, crude uh, WTI is is on the rise and it's much more profitable than natural gas. So everybody's going after liquids, going after crude. If that flip flops in a couple of years, like it did a few years ago, where gas was more profitable than, than oil, then operators go after gas. Um, that flip flop is actually why we have an oversupply now. <laughs> is that everybody's the the price of gas was uh, gas is more profitable than oil, and so everybody started drilling gas wells and went production, which then increased the supply, which then drove the price down, and that's the environment we're in right now. But regardless, it's cool to see the price go up, whether it's based on reality or or speculation, um, because the uh, um, people that are benefiting are our operators and um, you know the, the general public that works in this industry. It's nice to see money start to flow back again. Looks like part of that perception is driven as well by meteorology in, in the form of people are predicting a hot summer, it says. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that there's all kinds of things that play in this. But yeah, there's a lot of good traders are actually pretty damn good weather forecasters, right? Because if there's a, a, a very hot summer, especially in the south, there's an increased demand for electricity, which in, in our state, case is fueled by natural gas same way if there's a projected uh, extra cold winter especially in the north um, there's a lot of fuel oil that's burned to heat um, to heat home so the weather plays actually a, a real big part of the demand cycle here in, in north america perfect let's wrap it up with lawstreetmedia.com a pure midstream story what's the best i'm asking you what's the best way to transport crude oil i think i know the answer is a pipeline this who the hell wrote this story <laughs> i read through this and it's like you didn't even do any research not only do you not know anything about oil and gas you didn't even do research on google before you wrote this um the, the answer to the story is a pipeline by by gazillion gazillion times percentage a modern pipeline is so efficient and so um safe and so less impactful to the environment um you know your, your other options super tankers um rail uh, truck, I, none of that's as good a way to transport as crude oil. So you, you read this article, and um, anybody in the industry, especially in the midstream industry, is going to read this and go, "This is like silly. It's like my my seven year old son wrote this." But um, it, they do talk; they do have some good numbers in here. Um, and but there's also some things they they miss. So they they talk about Keystone, but they never bring up the fact that we need to blend uh, heavy crude with our sweet crude that we produce, so that our refineries can refine it, which is the main reason for Keystone. And then they also don't really talk about Keystone accurately. Most of Keystone is built. There's only a little bitty piece, which is called Keystone XL, which is not built. And that's what the federal government rejected, whatever it was, five times. I mean, just ridiculous. And so what's happened is other pipeline companies, and Keystone XL basically goes from, I think, Cushing, Oklahoma to here at Houston. So what's happened is other pipeline companies have built pipelines that go from Cushing to here. So there's a pretty good supply of transport, even though Keystone didn't get finished. And what happens is Keystone... Uh, brings the oil all the way to Cushing, and then they pay the other pipeline company to bring it <laughs> uh, here. And that's something that's relatively recent. Before that, it was being done by rail, which is is horrible for from a risk point of view. So this is not a very good article. Um, if you want to read an article written by somebody that doesn't know oil and gas industry about oil and gas, you can read this one. Shout out to Kyle Downey. That is who wrote it. And it wasn't he's not he's not seven years old, but it might explain it because he's in his last semester at Skidmore College. And we'll graduate soon with a bachelor's degree in environmental studies. So it says you can contact him, staff at Law Street. I'll have to send him the show, and maybe we can get a little conversation going around the complexity of the oil and gas industry and some of the things he missed. That might be a good conversation. Maybe we can yeah, enlighten and, and, somebody. And, and Kyle, I mean, if we can help you, I'd be happy to jump on a phone and help. I mean, you know, a 15, 20-minute phone call, I could teach you more about this industry than most of the population knows. So, you know, if you have an interest in doing this, reach out. We'll be happy to help you.
Yeah, we'd definitely be happy to help you. And one thing that that in-tech process automation would love to help you with is automating what you're doing in the oil field. And Mark can talk much better about that than I can. Yeah, so in-tech is a process automation leader out there. So um, anybody out there that's an operator or a service company that touches operators, even though the price of crude's going up, um, you need to worry about saving money. You need to worry about efficiencies. And that's what Intech's excellent at. They did a really cool thing for our listeners, and they wrote, um, I hate to use the word white, white paper, they wrote a really good research article on how to drive efficiencies in the field, especially in the frack plays. So if, like I said, if you're, if you're in that world, if you're an operator, if you're a service company, uh, go to the link and download it and read this. And even if you don't engage with Intech, they've now given you a way for you to, to actually increase the efficiencies in your field by yourself. So what's that link, James? It's intechww.com forward slash podcast, intechww.com forward slash podcast. The Weekly Onion slash The Weekly Cringe on Mark's part comes from Cam, Cam on Twitter. Oh my goodness, I should have packed it. It's Dag... Daguvana at Daguvana Cam, we go back and forth on Twitter a little bit. So he hit me up and said, "This wouldn't be great for the show." So inspirational. Yeah, I, actually, I actually was lucky enough that I was able to meet him in person at OTC. Okay, all right. Well, he's the guy to blame for this week. So <laughs> that's your fault. That's that's Cam. It's on Cam and me for for enjoying this as thoroughly as we do. Inspirational English teacher canceled out by every other teacher at school. I had a few teachers like that in my days. And I like the quote here. Sure, Miss uh, Miss Smith inspires us all to be the best we can. But after sitting through Mr. Edward Durbro's awful science class, the very next period, I really don't care about school or my future at all anymore. And that reminds me of my geometry teacher. Actually, I I was struggling through geometry, but one person who's not struggling and is also a winner is someone who is going to come up later. And he's the reason we're talking about Kazakhstan, but we have a winner for Red Wings offshore bag. And I practiced how to pronounce his name. Mark, do you want me to go for it? Yep, go for it. All right. It's Oh, and now I put myself on the spot. It's Max Iman, Iman, see, Iman, Gaz, Iman Gazinov. There you go. Max Iman Gazinov, Coastal Chemi- Chemical. He is a buyer and Coastal Chemical. Do you know anything about this company? No, no. What's, what's Coastal Chemical about? The coolest thing about this company is something we talk about all the time on the show. They are focused on serving upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry, offering products and value-added services for drilling rigs, compressors, gas plants, gathering and transmission pipelines, refineries, ethanol, and petrochemical plants across the United States. They are diversified, my yeah, friend. Good. Good job, Costa Chemical. Good job. You you clearly uh, established this company long before because it's been around for 50 years, uh, so long before the show, so we can't take credit for that. But if you're looking for an example of a company that has strongly diversified so they can protect themselves in a downturn, it's a great one. So, Max, enjoy your Red Wing bag, and we just actually put out the podcast. You, I don't think you said you heard the interview yet, right, Mark? No, not yet. I'll actually probably hear it today. Yeah. So, but talk to us about Red Wing because you had your chance to interface with them at OTC. I just use that word. Damn it. I hate that word. You had a chance to meet up with Tito and Chris and the team out there. Just talk to us a little bit about Red Wing. Yeah. So a company that's totally devoted to quality. I mean, and it's, it's not a slogan by management, frontline people believe in this and practice this. So, um, uh, you know, uh, 
their boots are, are historically legendary, right? But they also um, manufacture and supply all kinds of other PPE. So if you need to keep your people and yourself safe out in the field or in the refinery or in the pipeline, if you need to wear FR clothing or whatever other type of protective gear, look at Red Wing. Their stuff is unbelievably good stuff. And then um, with our, I had a conversation that actually will be coming out somewhere in the future that um, with our buddy Patrick Pister, and we were actually talking about PPE. And one of the things that he brought up to me that I'd never thought of that makes perfect sense is like when companies spec PPE, they need to look at total cost of ownership. So if this PPE is cheaper, but it wears out after 13 washings and something like Red Wings doesn't wear out at all, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it makes more sense from a cost point of view to buy the better stuff. So, um, you know, like I said, if, if you're in that world, if you need that protective equipment, look at Red, Red Wing. It, it, it is a great company. Yes. And, you, and if you would like to join Max in owning a Red Wing offshore bag and myself, as I never leave the house without it, as I've said before, there is no purchase necessary. You can just see the official site for root. For rules and details, it's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast, redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. We're going for the big finish here because we're coming up against our time. Our events on deck, you sent me this last night. What's the Houston flight launch party all about? It's a funny name, huh? Okay, so our our, our bud over at FMC Chelsea, who runs their young professionals group, sent this to me. So um, FMC young professionals are involved in this. This is, this is Houston Fight is the American Cancer Society's first ever young professionals group in Houston. And so they're doing a fundraiser to raise money to fight cancer. And it's it's a great cause with a great group of people. It's going to be a bunch of oil and gas young professionals there. It's dirt cheap. Um, you know, it's a $10 wristband at the door. And if you do $20, you get a free Houston Fight t-shirt. Um, you know, drinks, uh, food, fun, a bunch of young professionals. So, um, you know, it's Thursday, June 9th, uh, 6 p.m. Um, James, I have the, uh, the uh, PDF in the show notes. Uh, if, if you want to support a good cause and meet other young professionals in oil and gas industry, go check this out. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. My apologies. I said flight. I didn't notice it fight. But yeah, this is going to the American Cancer Society. So good on them for getting that put together. And then we have Oil and Gas Mobility Houston happening out in the Galleria from our friends at Oil and Gas. Uh, what is it? Intel. Oh, no. Oil and Gas IP. IP. Yeah. yeah, IQ, IQ. That's right. So tell us about this, because I know that you think it's pretty cool. And as well as as do I. So mobility communications in oil and gas is something that is vitally important. It's growing like crazy. Um, it's going to play into the whole IoT um, digital oil field in a very, very big way. And this is a summit built all around that. So even if you're not into the geeky technology stuff, this is a business driving con uh, conference. You need to go check this out and see how, even if you're not on the geeky side, how mobility can actually drive efficiencies and safeties um, in, in the oil and gas industry. It's um. I'm going to try my best to get there because um, I, I went last year and it was just an awesome show. Yeah. Okay. So these links as well are in the show notes. The fr first Friday Q&A is two weeks away. The clock is ticking down. You can submit your questions on this episode's show notes or by going to triberocket.com forward slash QA. We've got several great questions already. We could use a handful more. Let's talk about the LinkedIn group though, Mark. Yeah, if you listen to the show, go join the LinkedIn group. We have a bunch of new stuff coming down the pipe. I mean, a bunch of new stuff. All really cool, all really exciting, and the LinkedIn group will know about it first. Um, it's where our um, audience, our tribe, uh, as James would say, uh, interacts with each other. We interact. Um, it's a way to get questions answers, a way to get help on stuff. It's a way to get um, you know, your peers involved. It's, uh, just, just go join the group. It, it's well worth the whatever it takes, 30 seconds to go join. 
Yeah, and thanks to everyone who has been joining. I'm seeing a, a large influx in senior leadership joining. The, we So we were joking earlier about people not knowing how to download podcasts, and clearly it's it's starting to spread. So thank you to everyone who is joining. Hopefully you're getting value there. And thank you to everyone who has been leaving reviews. We have three. Number one, awesome. Five stars, KLC261982. Great podcast. Mark's knowledge is very helpful, and James's upbeat attitude is great. Good podcast team. Love listening to them. Thank you, KLC. All right, the next one is a little bit longer. Great podcast. Credit to James. I already said his name. It's by Max Imangazinov. There we go, Imangazinov. I have been listening to this podcast for over three months now. I have joined the pod. I have enjoyed the podcast as I joined the oil and gas chemical industry a little over two years ago. As I was learning about our company from the inside, this podcast has helped to learn about the outside oil and gas environment, companies, news, acquisitions, and in general, this podcast has been a great tool to learn about major oil and gas companies. Another aspect is your podcast touches not only domestic news, but also the news internationally. I'm originally from Kazakhstan and always looking forward to hearing news on Kazakhstan oil and gas companies and on the progress in the Caspian Sea production. Kazakhstan is really trying to diversify its economy, but unfortunately oil is our main export right now and we're getting hit by the oil and gas crisis strongly. Anyway, great podcast. P.S., one of the reviewers said he or she did not cannot stand James, and I want to say this. <laughs> if it was not for James, Mark would not have taught so many interesting things and touched various topics, and it was if it was not for James, we would not have had this podcast. Thank yeah, you, Brian. Max. Thank yeah. you, Max. I appreciate that. That's awesome. And just a disclaimer, that glowing five-star review has nothing to do with the fact that he won a Red Wing bag today. It has nothing. It was just totally happenstance. You do you do, you do not increase your likelihood by leaving a review, but we would love one, right, Mark? Yeah, please come on, folks, give us a review. It's helping us kick our competition's butt <laughs> in the search engine rankings. Um, so help us, you know, help us keep pulling ahead of our competition. It takes a minute and a half. Um, it helps us, um, um, you know, just really allow other people to find us that are in the industry and that uh, would enjoy the show. Yeah, and, and one last one here. Great news source, Martin T3, five stars. I am on the road a lot because I manage a small oil and gas business and don't always have time to read as much industry news as I would like to. I enjoy listening to Mark and James and think it's a great source of information for all sectors in the industry. Thanks for the dedication, guys. I have to turn that around and say thank you, Martin, and everyone for your dedication and listening to the show. You sent me something, I think it was this week or last, that someone just found the show and listened to 20 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Right. And, and, you know, we, we actually see that a good bit. So, uh, share this with your friends that are in the industry. They, they will get benefit out of this, especially if they're on the road a lot. Yeah. So speaking of that, if you have any comments about what you heard today, please leave them on the blog post for this episode, which is at triberocket.com forward slash TW 65. That's where you can get all of the links to all of the stores. If you want to dig in a little bit further, we have the Facebook comments, uh, plug-in going there as well as discuss. So there's plenty of opportunity to to leave your comments there. And if you made it this far in this show, please do share it with your friends. You can do that. Oh, shout out to Samuel Hill on that point. Samuel went and tagged us both, I think, on LinkedIn and then tagged me over on Facebook when he so he he is give his strong endorsement. So thank you very much. 
And shout out to everyone hitting, hitting me. And I know, Mark, you get a lot of this as well. I'm getting a lot of listeners reaching out through Facebook, um, LinkedIn Messenger. And so, but yeah, Sam, thank you very much for sharing the shows you have. It's at tribrocket.com forward slash share LI. We'll share it straight to LinkedIn forward slash share TW. We'll share it to Facebook. Or I'm sorry, to Twitter. And then share FB. We'll share it to Facebook. All of that said, Mark, we've got another show to record. Are you ready to get out of here? Yeah. So folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Mexican is not a language. No, it's not. Hey, you said a bunch of stuff covering that. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm recording right now. <laughs>